Weed on the ballots, more states push legalization of marijuana, but is there an avenue to challenge federal law? Professor Douglas Berman from The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, audience. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for tuning in and making this program part of your day. Much, much appreciated. Got a lighter topic related to the recent elections. We're going to be talking about marijuana and what the latest is following the election. And so as of this recording, votes are still being tabulated and no state has officially certified its results. And so some states might even be getting ready for a recount, but that's as far as we're going into that. But uh, let me welcome our guest, Professor Douglas Berman from the Ohio State University, Moritz College of Law. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Professor, you wrote a blog post article. Uh, it was titled, After Big Red Marijuana Reforms, Is It Time for Race 2.0 Challenge to Federal Marijuana Prohibition? But before we get to that, I just want to catch up with you a little bit on where things stand. We just had a big election and there was a lot of marijuana legislation on the ballots. And so things changed in various states. So if you could just quickly give us a snapshot on how things stand with the different states today. Sure. Well, one of the reasons I I wrote that post was uh, unlike some of the other elections, which were so close, it was a clean sweep for marijuana reform initiatives in New Jersey, Arizona, Montana, and South Dakota, full legalization passed by ballot initiative. In addition, in Mississippi and also South Dakota, medical marijuana reform passed by ballot initiative. And this is the first sort of big election where it's been a clean sweep uh, for marijuana reform at the state level. So that's sort of been building where it's been kind of a closer call in a number of states, mostly blue states in the past. Uh, This time around, it was a, you know, across the board win for these ballot initiatives. And that included in in a number of red states where some people had some questions about whether it would have the same level of success that, that it's been seeing in blue states more recently. Yeah, you know, we've been following this uh, for years, ever since Colorado and Washington legalized from the state level consumption and sales and growing of marijuana in, in their different states. And and so, you know, uh, one of the things that hasn't changed, though, is uh, the federal law. The federal law still makes it illegal everywhere in the United States to sell, grow, buy marijuana. And the other problem that there's been historically in the past were some of the banking regulations. Now, I understand the banking regulations have freed up a little bit. So if you could just catch us up there you know, where are we with the federal prohibition? And then where are we with some of these banking regulations? Sure. Well, we still have blanket prohibition at the federal level, like you said, and there have been a number of bills to reform that blanket prohibition in a variety of ways, but none of them have, have really gotten a lot of momentum. And there's still, you know, significant political divide, both over whether reform is needed at the federal level, and then what form that might take. Underneath that, there's the opportunity for executive discretion to kind of shape things. And I think that the banking uh, movement that you've mentioned is partially a result of when the Obama administration was in charge. It issued a bunch of policy memos saying we weren't going to enforce marijuana laws as long as you were uh, compliant with state law, uh, and then also suggested that banks could bank marijuana businesses as long as they were operating in compliance with state law. And so that sort of loosened up a little bit the willingness of some banks, but not everyone. And there still are real banking problems despite that effort. That's why there's a bill afoot to make it categorically legal for banks to bank marijuana businesses, but that's also gotten bogged down in, in legislative debates to date. And so that's not, that's not law and it doesn't look like it's going to become law anytime soon. Uh, and so executive discretion may be a big part of any movement we see at the federal level going forward. 
Yeah, I think that's been one of the things that's been the most fascinating just in terms of the federal ban on it. I mean, it's against the law and you can technically be arrested for it and serve prison time, but it's really kind of a de-emphasizing of certain enforcement, right? That's what that Cole memo is all about. That's exactly right. And what that actually does, and it's an important sort of shaper of the way we've seen the marijuana industry develop, smaller players kind of quite rightly think they're not going to get the attention of the federal government. But larger players fear that they will. And that's why banks, even if given some license to be involved in this industry, are worried. You know, if a big bank takes on a lot of business that's in the marijuana space, gee, maybe the regulators will come down on us. Or that's why we see multinational corporations that do other consumer goods or other you know, food and drug activities aren't really interested in getting in this space because federal prohibition still stands there as this sort of critically problematic backstop, uh, no matter what the states provide. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, even though uh, the restriction from federal law, you still see all these businesses propping up everywhere. So let's get to your article. So you talked about a case about 18 years ago. It's called Gonzalez versus Raish. And so your analysis that you put in there was that this case basically challenged the notion that the federal government can ban marijuana. And it, and it brought forth the claim on constitutional grounds. And so I definitely want to talk about that. But before we get into that, you know, your article brought that case back into the light, saying, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be found the same way twice. And so let's, before we get to your article, maybe tell us just briefly about Gonzalez versus Raish. You know, who are the parties that brought the case? And then what ultimately happened and how did the court decide? Sure. Gonzalez versus Raish was a, was a suit brought by a woman, Angel Raish, who was growing marijuana consistent with California state law for her own medical use in her own backyard. And she and some, some co-plaintiffs said, hey, why should the federal government have any authority to tell me what I can grow consistent with state law in my own backyard? That doesn't affect commerce in any way. And there's this commerce clause limitation, we think, on what the federal government can regulate. And so she brought suit on that basis, but she also brought challenges under the Ninth and and Tenth Amendments as well. Ultimately, those other claims fell out of the case before it got to the Supreme Court, got to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ultimately upheld federal authority here, sort of built on a generation, actually multiple generations of precedent that says, even if you're growing something for yourself, for your own use, if it's the kind of product that's used across state lines, if it's a potential part of commerce, then we'll still say the federal government has authority to regulate it. And what's so interesting about the case, and one of the reasons I wrote about maybe it's time it could be reconsidered is, though we think of marijuana as sort of a progressive issue, and you know, mostly blue states are doing the reform and red states are resistant, this issue of whether the federal government has broad powers to regulate, that tends to be a different kind of political divide. There, usually it's it's conservatives who are troubled uh, that things are being over-regulated at the federal level and not respecting state choices. And it's progressives, Democrats, who generally want to give the federal government broader power. And we see that actually in the ruling in Gonzalez versus Raich. It was more conservative justices. Justice Thomas really is the only one still on the court now. But back then, it was it was him and Justice O'Connor and Chief Justice Rehnquist that said, we don't think the federal government should have authority to tell Angel Race she can't grow marijuana in her own backyard. That's not a kind of commerce. But it was the more liberal justices and a few of the sort of swing justices, although also Justice Scalia, who were on the side of the federal government saying, we're not going to reconsider this, particularly in this setting. 
Well, so in your article, you bring this argument up that, you know, had the same case been brought forth today, they may not have found the same. So what I want to do is I want to break down your analysis because you brought forth the Fifth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment in your analysis and how those constitutional provisions, uh, you know, through the Bill of Rights, you know, might lead to a different result. So let's break those off one at a time. Let's start with the Fifth Amendment. Of course, this is the prohibition of the government being able to take life, liberty or property without due process of the law. So how does the Fifth Amendment play into the federal government banning marijuana? Well, there's this set of doctrines, which is usually known as substantive due process, that says there are certain things that the government can't do no matter what means they try to do it. There are some sort of core kind of elements of privacy or personal autonomy that's built around the notion of substantive due process in the Fifth Amendment. And I've long thought that an argument could be made for marijuana reform kind of on that basis. Now, here, we skew the the left-right divide the other way. Usually it's more progressive justices that are comfortable finding sort of a broad personal liberty under the Fifth Amendment, and more conservative justices are uncomfortable with that. And part of the the goal of my blog post was to highlight that there were different ways to argue for protection of marijuana use that might appeal to different groups of justices for different reasons, and that may build a coalition to, to find a constitutional protection here, even if there's no one theory that might carry the day for enough justices. Let's get to the Eighth Amendment. Of course, the Eighth Amendment protects us from excessive fines and cruel and unusual punishment. So how is it a cruel and unusual punishment if you uh, can't buy marijuana because the federal government says you can't? Well, you know, the, the argument here is the Eighth Amendment looks to what's often described as the evolving standards of decency, that we decide what's just and permissible as a punishment based in part by how we as a society use punishment. And the idea would be because states, so many states have said, um, this is now permissible activity. And especially I'm thinking about medical marijuana use. And the idea, I think many people would think it would be horrible if somebody was suffering, let's say, migraines, and there was one particular medicine uh, that they used over the counter. But that state said, oh, it's a crime if you use that medicine. We'd be troubled if no other state said that was problematic to allow punishment to be used in that kind of way. We might use the Eighth Amendment as a limitation on, on state punishment. And um, there are certainly people who, who claim marijuana provides relief to them uh, like no other drug can. And again, given that we've seen almost every state respect medical marijuana as being worth legalizing, perhaps we build that together to make an argument that the federal government can't prohibit it when all the states have said this is something that should be permissible. All right, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, I'm going to lump those together. And this is sort of the demarking line, you know, between the states and the federal government. And so the Ninth Amendment, you know, there's the talk about unenumerated rights. And so the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights guarantees certain rights. But beyond that, it's not forbidden for the states to go ahead and bring additional rights. And likewise, the Tenth Amendment talks about kind of a line in federalism here where here's the role of the federal government. Anything outside of this can be taken on by the state. So drawing that barrier between, uh, you know, the federal and state governments. And so how did the Ninth and Tenth Amendment play into your analysis here when it comes to the federal government banning, once again, marijuana? Yeah, well, those are two amendments that, again, typically it's more conservative justices or thinkers that say ought to be given a lot more attention. We ought to respect state choices here and not allow the federal government to do whatever it wants, especially when it seems to be contrary to choices that states want to make or that individuals want to make. And here, I also think there's a kind of broad philosophy about what the framers were trying to do. There's certainly a a sentiment that, you know, we have a libertarian constitution and the framers were eager to put 
you know, sort of guardrails on what the government can do to affect an individual doing something to themselves, right? If they harm others, of course, uh, that's a proper place for government to be involved. But when it's just about what they do to themselves as an adult, you know, that that's not the kind of thing the government should be involved in, at least certainly not the kind of thing the federal government should be involved in if the state government chooses not to be, right? And so this is where, again, a rich philosophy and debate about settings in which the Ninth and Tenth Amendment perhaps ought to be given sort of more significance. And it just strikes me that that we're now sort of setting up an opportunity, maybe not to have a bunch of justices sign off on a whole new wave of jurisprudence, but to see that, you know, we, we've got a unique moment where we have so many states pushing forward with laws and, and policies that are so contrary to the blanket prohibition that still remains in federal law. All right. So we're just about out of time, Professor, but I do want to ask these last two quick questions for you. And so just want you to put on your uh, your predictions hat here real quick. And so if a case like Raish came up and so you call it the Raish 2.0 case, so another very similarly situated case, uh, you know, bringing up similar challenges uh, via the Constitution, you know, where do you think today's Supreme Court would come down? I don't know. That's partly why I wrote the blog post is I'm really eager to see, right? These issues particularly as it relates to the application of federal criminal law, right? And I think a lot would really depend on the facts of the case, you know, whether it was a really good test case, whether it really seemed like an extreme use of federal power. And ultimately, I probably think this is a thought experiment because I'm not sure such a claim would ever actually be brought in the wake of a onerous federal prosecution. You know, federal authority is, is generally speaking, you know, disinclined to go after an individual. They go after big traffickers. Uh, they're disinclined to, to you know, uh, be harsh on a, a sympathetic case. And so I think that would be the set that would come together. But I, I could very much imagine uh, a number of the new justices, both more conservative and more liberal, being particularly concerned about the exercise of federal power if it was an extreme example of application of federal prohibition over the back of state legalization. When as someone who's been watching the the various states legalize marijuana over the course of time in relatively short order, you know, I'm beginning to wonder when there there might be a tipping point. I don't know if it's going to be kind of a slow trickle to get all of the states involved before that federal switch gets flipped. But uh, what do you think? What do the next 10 years have when it comes to the legalization of marijuana? I think it's a great question. I think one of the reasons I'd love to see more court challenges and one of the reasons I wrote my post was I think, ironically, court challenges create space for legislative movement, executive branch movement, right, that we've seen in a variety of settings. Gay marriage is one good example where as court challenges build steam, then legislative actors, executive branch actors have to kind of weigh in. And if the politics is on the side of reform, not only is it more likely that courts will feel more comfortable moving reform forward, uh, but uh, other actors won't stand in the way quite as much, right? And so I think that's really, we see the politics, you know, kind of at the back of reform, but perhaps rightly so, the federal government has a hard time passing legislation on controversial issues until you get close to consensus. And this is certainly one of those kinds of issues. And so I would be surprised if we haven't moved off federal prohibition in the next 10 years, uh, but exactly when and exactly how, that'll keep me in a job, I think. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. It was great having you. I appreciate you bringing up this issue and thanks for talking to me.
And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, subscribe directly to our show, Legal Talk Today, and your favorite podcasting app. It's really good for the show. And also we'll cite our sources like we usually do on our website, legaltalknetwork.com, so you can read those for yourself. And last but not least, I want to thank my team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN production team for doing a great job making us sound so great. Thank you all for doing all that hard work. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.